welcome to another extra special, extra wonderful, extracurricular episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age 2 edition. I am Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts on this magical journey, as always joined by Kenneth Shepard. Kenneth, how you doing? Just bitter about pirates who don't stick around. <laughs> Look, you know who does stick around, who we can't ever have a season of Normandy FM without bringing her back on. <gasps> One, Natalie Flores, thank you so much for joining us once again. Hello, my friends. Hello, listeners and all people who have been abandoned by Isabella and people who have not been abandoned by Isabella. <sighs> people who are good don't know friends. That's... Excuse me? <laughs> people who are good <laughs> friends of Isabella. People who back their friends up and take them on journeys together. And I am and an excellent friend, but just to like to know them. Ugh, whatever. Fucking. <laughs> anyway, I was about to say your intro is technically not true, Eric, because Natalie was not on the origin season because she has taste and doesn't want to be on that one. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yep, I was not on the origin season because Origins is the worst Dragon Age. <laughs> Look, we, we had to we had to say it at some point, you know. We we do have to if we didn't say it enough. <laughs> Just in case y'all forgot, since we moved on to greener pastures, Origins is the worst Dragon Age. Thank we, you for had, stopping by. We've had the defenders on. Caitlin's come on here, said their piece, and yeah. now now we're just back to dunk on it. Because <laughs> we were too <laughs> nice to it for too long. <sighs> Natalie, tell me. Today we are we are talking about Isabella and Fenris, and before we, we get into the, the nitty-gritty of it, I'd like to know why these characters stuck out for you, why you wanted to come chat about these characters, and I guess we can start with Isabella, because we're already getting a little spicy over our favorite pirate gal. <laughs> so, Isabella and Fenris are my two favorite characters of Dragon Age 2, so for me it's it was quite easy for me to go to Ken and be like, hey, if I can come on for the Fenris and Isabella episodes, you let me know. Because, uh, yeah, I just love Isabella. I love how... Um, I, I love her for the reasons that we'll talk about in the podcast later on, uh, specifically with this quest. Um, just how she views independence and love and how she has grown up in her story and just her outlook on life is so fascinating to me because it's so unlike mine and I like when women especially in video games are allowed to have worldviews like she does um not accounting for the fact that she might not be the most loyal friend like at Kenneth's case rip mm -hmm. sorry <laughs> um and as for Fenris I have read <laughs> I don't know at this point maybe 500 fan fictions of like god bless hawk and yeah i've there have been too many nights where i've stayed up until like 5 a.m rereading my favorite fenris and hawk fix he was my romance in dragon age 2 uh still my favorite romance in the entire series mm. i adore him i love him um we will talk about him a lot i imagine and yeah so these are my two favorite characters uh I don't have a huge affinity for Meryl, although I do like her, and I fucking hate Anders, so those were not, <laughs> those were out of the question. Uh, I hate Anders, and I will touch on that later on, probably. I will find a way to voice my <laughs> hatred for him, as I tend to do, so, yeah. 
that's that's great and like speaking of isabella specifically like her her character in this act is i mean it's it's pivotal to the plot but i i think to start there because we for those who are following along for those who are playing along uh we're stopping the Isabella stuff short of where the actual main plot starts to coincide with her companion stuff. So the actual things we have to talk about with Isabella in this specific episode are actually a little slim <laughs> in terms of <laughs> what actually happens. Like I pulled open our, our, our play along guide and our, our wiki tabs and stuff like that for this episode. And I, <laughs> I told Ken, I was like, wait a minute, what, what happened in this mission? I don't remember what goes on here. It's because we really only have about two uh, short quests of basically just talking to Isabella uh, to deal with, but we we won't get into the specifics of her character. Suffice to say that I think this act presents her as a really interesting character because a lot like uh, the rest of this game has done it's stressed that not every character revolves around the player character, right? It's this idea that not everyone there is, not everyone is there to serve Hawk in the way that some characters in, say, Mass Effect kind of revolve around Shepard and are there to 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 be part of Shepard's journey. But mm-hmm. there are characters in Dragon Age 2 that are just like, hey, um, I'm doing my own thing. And if that coincides with what you're doing, that's great if not you know i gotta i gotta look out for me first and i think isabella really embodies that at least for most of act two but uh we we have our first conversation with her in the hangman which is kind of just an update and and her telling us hey you know still looking for the relic might have another lead on on what this thing is that i've got to recover um this this thing that i've got to get back to pay back my employer and we can be supportive or not and you know we can flirt or not and then that segues into a questioning beliefs uh where we kind of talk to her about her her outlook on everything how things are going and it's it's really just a lot of like getting to know isabella which all of which feeds into her romance which uh as i've already said on this podcast i had my hawk have a short little fling with Isabella and that romance scene is probably my favorite uh that that first romance scene where they're just kind of she pulls the daggers out and stuff like that and it's just it's fun in a way that I didn't feel Dragon Age Origins was and I didn't even feel like Meryl's romance scene Mm -hmm. was what it was much Mm -hmm. more serious and stuff here it was it was honest to who Isabella is as a character and it even like made me feel bad where after it's all said and done and she's getting up and she's walking away she's like this is just a fling right you're not gonna like catch feelings over this and you can be like yeah nah all cool or you can be like uh no i'm super into this like and i felt so bad (laughs) saying it's just a fling i felt really really bad um isabella is just this really interesting character that I think when I first played Dragon Age 2, I started out not liking her because I definitely, my perception of her was flavored by her being put up as this, like, pin-up pirate girl. I was like, oh, she's just the sexy pirate girl. Like, who cares? I, I don't think that character's interesting. It's just, like, some 
Laura Croft thing going on over here. And it took me until the end of the game to really be like, oh, she's cool. She's chill. I like her. She's got, like Natalie was saying, an interesting worldview. Uh, she ended up being like my my dude hawk's bro, my my femme bro, <laughs> pirate gal. Um, and so I I came into this game having that new perception of it, and it's changing a lot of how I even see so much of her early stuff, where I'm not looking at it as oh it's here comes the sexy sexy pirate gal, uh, but oh here comes the awesome badass pirate gal who's like i'm going to stab people and then wink and flirt and you can't fuck with me and you can't tell me not to do that um mm. yeah i like isabella that's that's kind of where i'm at ken how did you feel about some of the, like this early isabella stuff i know you've got some specific beef because apparently right. you just can't hang out with your friends right <laughs> well so okay <laughs> i think we can at least kind of broach the subject Without getting into specifics, they're going to spoil for anybody that's, that's playing along. That's fair. Um, so just like be aware if you're playing this game for the first time that Isabella has a point in Act Two where she can leave the party for good, and that is determined not only by her like having a set amount of friendship or rivalry, but you have to actually do the questioning belief uh, quest. Um, what ended up happening for me was I got to that point where she does ultimately leave, and I got enough friendship in the decision that I made in that that it unlocked question and belief, but she's gone, so I can't do it. Rip. So, <laughs> so like, I guess, like, get into the weeds of, like, how this show is going to, I guess, play out from now on. I am going to continue to talk about... Dragon Age 2 and Isabella's role in it as if she is still around and as if this is a playthrough of like my because I played Dragon Age 2 like eight or nine times over the course of 2011 because I was I, I didn't have a job I didn't have any money so I played the same game repeatedly over and over and over so like I it's not this is not something that I haven't done it's just something that I've gotten so distant from from like when I was like so up the ass of this game I knew how to kind of like maximize like quote unquote maximize content I always knew exactly when I needed to take people to certain things and always kind of like I don't know if I don't, I don't know if it's like game in the system per se but just like knowing how best to I guess maximize when I saw people and like what quest I brought them on to where I saw everything um how so turn was that? tables hmm. <laughs> so it is it is frustrating that is frustrating in its own but like it doesn't like I mean when we get to Inquisition we're gonna be using that that keep uh, save that has everything as it's supposed to be so I can still like it'll still be as if Isabella was with me the whole time huh. but um <laughs> huh what I, I seem to recall uh, you getting mad at me for altering things about my Dragon Age playthrough yeah well uh. you know when we first started the show I told you not to look up shit too but then you did that on stream to get through the suicide mission without losing anybody so I think that rule's kind of busted now so go fuck yourself wait um, what what hold on now hold, what? hold on now Hold on. Hold what? On. First of all, I didn't have to look shit up to get through the suicide mission. Eric, I watched um, the stream. I I was You literally pulled it up on your phone. Oh fuck you. I was reassuring fuck myself you. of the correct choices because that game has some bonkers math at the end of it and I was making sure I wasn't going to screw myself by bringing like grunt on the last mission. I did mission. the same too, Eric. You just want to 
You know, keep Garrett because it's the like day. Eric. Yeah. You looked it up through every single fucking choice in that. Don't fucking lie to me. You're lucky what? that your Twitch deleted your shit because you don't pay for anything. So, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. But you got mad at me for skipping the fade. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you've broke enough rules of what I said in the very first episode of the podcast, so I might as well just be like, <laughs> what the fuck ever. So, mark it as mark it as was the date of recording, uh, May twenty fifth, the day that Ken lost the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's, he's using he's like Fenris. He's using anger to mask the sadness behind. Like it is so sad to hear Ken be like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go into the Dragon Age keep, and I'm gonna edit my choices so that Isabella." Is it wasn't a choice. It was her choice, not my choice. Mm. Mm. You know, maybe maybe if you spent all this time hanging out with Isabella instead of being mad at me, she would leave. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. <laughs> she liked me enough to not leave, but then the game was like, no, you can't go see her one more time to make her not leave. So, whatever. But she left. Cause... Oh man, I actually. But I can't. Sure and it's but it's. it's, it's it shows up, like, her fucking <laughs> passive friend buff still shows up in my, like, stats. Like, it's just like, Isabella's got your back. No, she fucking didn't. Thank you. <sighs> I anyway. Actually, I, need to, I need to check to make sure that I've got that. Oh, uh, you did the romance. Then... You're good. Oh, okay. If I do, if I do the ro- Even if it's just a flank? Yeah, for some oh. fucking reason. I guess, like, she has enough, like, an attachment to you in that scenario, so it's fine. Um... Good. Anyway, I, I was I was good enough that Isabella hit it and did not want to quit it. You know, Con- congratulations <laughs> on having sex with a woman. Real jealous of you, bro. God. Anyway, what the fuck are Once we even again, talking about? Ken's greatest greatest issues stem from sex with women. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I don't oh, even. I love, I love Isabella dearly. I love that she is like this. Like I like I said before, like she's is like thick as thieves between me and except for the fucking playthrough. But like this, <laughs> like normally I love the dynamic between her and my hawk, and that this these quests are kind of like establishing that like, oh, you're not a cop. I can fucking trust you. I, like I know that you've got my back. And until she decides to until she fucking does it. <laughs> you know what? Let's fucking move on. Let's talk about somebody that's well, got well, my on, back in on. more than one way. Hold on. So, so Natalie, like, how did you feel about Isabella at this point in the story, like, leading up to her, you know, in some cases, sudden but inevitable betrayal? Like, uh, just how did you feel about Isabella as, as a character at this point in the story? I mean, at this point in the story, my love for her was absolutely genuine. I think... I did experience some of that bitterness because, just like you said, this is a game where um, the writing of certain characters doesn't make it so that they revolve around Hawk, and I think that was an uncomfortable experience for me back Mm -hmm. when I first played it because I I wasn't used to that kind of thing, so, but we're not there yet, so as of right now, Mm -hmm. Isabella is my second favorite character. Mm -hmm. Like, my party was always... Fenris, uh, Isabella, and Meryl, I'm pretty mm. sure. So um, We might we might have to to find some way to bring you on for some spoiler chat about Isabella at some point so we can get yeah, the full cause takes. Yeah, because I can relate to that bitterness a little bit. I was It, it was very surprising. Um, and I remember feeling betrayed as if someone had broken up with me, but I was not in a romance with Isabella. So it's... 
what they do with her is really interesting, but as of where we are right now, uh, Isabella mm-hmm. is... And she, even after the fact, she still is my second favorite character, especially because some other characters don't make the bar very high. <laughs> Andrews. So, <laughs> it's <so> fine. Mm. <laughs> I guess just one last thing to leave it on before we get into what the meat of this episode is going to be, which is Fenris. Um, I just think it's interesting that since we're, like, broaching the subject of the fact that you can have her leave the party uh, in this in this act that not only is she an optional character to recruit but she then has another chance to completely leave altogether and that's like it's a level of i, I don't know like optionalness to a character that and ends up not just being like so core to the story at hand like ken we were talking about this i in some episode recently but trailers were showing isabella pretty prominently and kind of yep. framing her as this very prominent potential love interest and stuff like that and to have a character like that be that missable you, know, you think about back to mass effect one where you could have potentially not recruited garris or not recruited rex or characters mm-hmm. like that and it's it's just kind of wild to think about but also isabella in the grand scheme of Dragon Age, doesn't end up becoming a Garrus or a Rex in the way that they play into the larger scheme at hand. Like, Isabella is just kind of her own character. And regardless of whether that story intersects with Hawk, you know, you you have agency in how much your story overlaps with hers, but her having... A story isn't necessarily dependent on Hawk's presence. I, I guess right. is what I'm trying to get at. And Nothing just, independent to her. Yeah, and and that just makes her this really interesting character to me. As somebody who, again, after playing all these Bioware games all in a row, you start to really notice how the world only revolves when certain characters are in the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one thing I still continuously appreciate about dragon age 2 and speaking of the entire world revolving around one character let's talk about fenris before we move on to fenris can i say one thing about isabella yeah so when you asked me what i like about isabella i was thinking about it after i answered and Mm -hmm. i did want to say that i really love that she is first of all that she's a woman of color period and second of all that um the writing utilizes a trope that we're often assigned, which is to be sexy and devious and spicy and feisty and unloyal and very sexual in a lot of these cases. Um, and it uses that trope and kind of subverts it because she is allowed to be all these things. She is allowed to be devious and to be sexual and to always talk about, you know, like having sex with people and mm. um, how little she cares about love. Like when we get right. into this quest in particular uh, in which she goes through um, her trauma of her first marriage and how that basically taught Mm -hmm. her that it's better to protect yourself from uh, like the worst case scenario of allowing yourself to be seen and to be vulnerable because the alternative of letting yourself be vulnerable and then having that vulnerability taken advantage of is so much worse than not giving anyone that much confidence and trust overall um but i think it is just so wonderful how the writing uses those tropes that we women of color are often assigned and it it doesn't it doesn't explicitly go against them because it's not saying 
she is a better character as a woman of color because she is not sexual or she is not devious or she is not morally ambiguous like she is allowed to be all those things Mm -hmm. but she's also allowed to be a fierce friend if you're anyone but kenneth in this (laughs) stop it she's allowed to be a fierce friend she she has this rivalry with Aveline, but when it comes down to it, those two stick up for each other, even mm-hmm. when nobody else will. And just the the way that her writing goes about tackling um, this fear of vulnerability that I can very much relate to and that a lot of people can relate to, I think is really beautiful. And it is probably one of the biggest reasons why I love her character, that she's allowed to be all these things that we are usually relegated to, but she is also allowed to be so much more. Mm. And that's why she is so compelling to me, and that's why she's one of my favorite characters in the series. So, right. I also had forgotten until you mentioned it, when, we, when she talks about her first marriage, she mentions that her first husband was assassinated mm-hmm. by Zevrin. Yeah. Just want to shout out to my last boy. Same. I before am we, before we move throughout. on to my next boy. <laughs> I was an elf fucker throughout, and I am an elf fucker from, from like, birth to, like, death <laughs> when it comes to fantasy games. So oh I romance Zevran Fenris Solis. So Zevran was also Damn. mine. Um, and I, I, I really like that backstory because it reminds me of, as y'all know, I really love Yennefer. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of her. Um, and... Yennefer's story is very similar in the sense that her parents gave her up for money and at a very low cost of money, like a very low price. So it reminds me, like, I didn't play The Witcher or read the books before I played Dragon Age 2 the first time. But now that I've done that, I'm like, oh, like, these two really complex women that Mm. I really love happen to share a similar backstory and that their parents... In Isabella's case, her mother gave them up for a price and thought they were worthless. Um, so that was interesting to kind of return to and think about. And yeah, she's just a great character. She has a lot of complexities that I think are overlooked because of the way that she is presented. And I'd like to think that's at least a little intentional. And it's kind of anyone's loss if they, mm-hmm. you know, don't look into her actual character and just kind of judge her by what's on the outside um yeah y'all are making me want to play dragon age 2 once this podcast is done and (laughs) y'all there's there's dota 2 that i need to play i it's it's that time of year it's it it comes every every year i gotta give my money to valve and i can't be distracting myself with all this dragon age 2 playing even though it's technically for the podcast yeah it's for work (laughs) eric what if what if we made Dragon Age 2 into a MOBA? All right, hear me out. All the kids love a MOBA these days. Is that not it... what Dragon Age 4 is going to be? <laughs> that'll, be a, that'll be a team-based hero shooter. <laughs> Don't anyone listening to this that is not a, that is not a leak, that is not a report, that is me making it. Yeah, a yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nothing official here. We are... You're just joking. I'm always side. I'm always worried that one day on a podcast I'll make a joke like that and then not qualify it and then on some website somewhere it'll be like 
super PlayStation All Stars. US Gamers Eric like, Van Allen mentions that bleak. the next Dragon Age is going to be a MOBA on his personal podcast, Armadia FM, with fanbite writer Kent Shepard and guesting fanbite writer Natalie Flores. You're going to take us down, take us down with him. He said it will reportedly be the gayest MOBA ever made. <laughs> <laughs> And it'll Speaking totally own. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Fenris. Let's let's talk about Fenris. And I'm going to let y'all guide this because for me, uh, I like Fenris. I think he's a cool character. He's uh, he's definitely not hidden at the highs that he is for, uh, for, for y'all to because obviously I'm not romancing him. Uh, I I think I said in our previous episode about Fenris that I like his character more now than I did the first time around. I think the first time around I was just like, oh well, this dude's pretty angry all the time. <laughs> I was I was young Eric and I didn't understand subtext yet. Um, in some <laughs> cases I still don't. So, <laughs> um, but this this time around I'm definitely enjoying his character a lot more, especially through. Uh, the sort of internal viewing it as the internal struggles he has rather than like you know he his story takes a while to really get to the thing that he's always building up to which is I'm going to stab Daenerys uh, it takes a while to get there and so that's probably why young Eric did not like it very much as I was like well we just stabbed Daenerys already <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the evil yeah. magister who owns slaves why would you want to stab him yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, this is dumb. Why aren't we just going to go stab Daenerys? Let's just stab Daenerys. Why is this taking forever? Uh. <laughs> um, whereas now I'm enjoying this more from the perspective of Fenris having this internal struggle with the the thing, the revenge he wants to take versus the person it could end up making him become. And, and also, obviously, if you were a mage romancing Fenris or even just a mage playing with Fenris, there is Represent. so much tension in that that is fascinating mm. to explore so i guess we'll start with we're catching up with with uh fenris uh chatting with him a little bit and we once again have our weird time skip time dilation where it's three years later and he's still just hanging out in Daenerys's mansion he's like i ain't seen anything he's Nobody's by me come by <laughs> <You know? laughs> like i'm I know that I don't want to like quarantine stress this dude, but has he just been sitting around in this mansion for three years, not doing anything but throwing wine bottles at the wall? Like, dude, is that gonna be us? Oh gosh, is it not uh, already? Isn't my, it? My walls yeah. are coated, man. <laughs> I mean, we haven't passed the three-year mark yet, Eric. But knock on wood. Hopefully, we we're can... not gonna. We can get there. We can get there. <laughs> We're at rookie numbers right now. We gotta get those numbers up. Uh, so, I think it's an interesting way to start Fenris's Act Two stuff off because you do have the question that you can ask him of like, uh, you talk about what Fenris can do if running is no longer a thing he has to do, and and you're kind of at the point where you get to ask Fenris like what do you think life looks like after Daenerys and somebody outside just decided to kick their motorcycle into gear <laughs> that's how it looks like just vroom vroom uh, that's, a, that's a metaphor yes it really is uh, but I'll, I'll kick it over to y'all now I guess starting with Ken like how do you feel about 
seeing Fenris again and seeing him still like totally just throwing wine bottles at the wall, hanging out, waiting mm-hmm. for Daenerys to show back up to us. Also, Fenris, dude, I get it. You want to send a message, but you could do some cleaning around here, all right? You could there pick some bodies. things up. Yeah, there there could be some some cleanliness happening. Just it's, cause... it's like the phenomenon of like the dude who just sleeps on a mattress on the floor. Like when you're that <laughs> hot, I think you're allowed to not be very neat. So honestly, <laughs> he is literally the the like gamification of the hot man who sleeps on the mattress on the floor, except just dialed up a little bit like okay, 50 times. But flip side, is he the personification of that goofy movie meme where he's looking at this like nasty ass apartment he's like, you live like this? <laughs> <laughs> Damn bro, you live like this? Mm. So it's, it's, it's kind of frustrating from like the sense we talk about like where Dragon Age 2 has like a very pronounced problem in terms of portraying the passage of time because when I when I have this conversation as a person that is attempting to you know begin a relationship with Fenris, there is like a sense of like you need to have more expediency about your life, and that involves not only like what you want to do beyond sitting in this mansion, but like hi, look at me, a snack and a half right here for you, you know, like trying to get him to maybe be less focused on the idea that he has to run and focus on other possibilities for his life. You know, there are points where he's like, he kind of talks about how he just can't move past this. This isn't something he wants to do. And then when he says that he shouldn't be troubling us with that, you can kind of be like, yeah, that's true. You don't have to do that. But then also, if you're like in the like the floating option, they're like, no, I am giving you the opportunity to burden me with this because this is something that I would like to help you carry. Uh, so, and the conversation kind of like escalates from there because he's like, I am a slave who has lyrium branded into my body is this something you actually want to get involved with and if you're a mage you can be like i'm a mage on the run from the circle all the time like we are two peas in a pod of like dysfunction here so at this point in particular it just feels like asking for that like him to have more expediency in settling down and like being comfortable where he is and realizing because like it's been three years at this point like and nothing has happened like maybe this is like you can not always have to have you're back against the wall looking at the door because you're wondering if somebody's going to walk in. Yeah. Yeah. There's something to be said for the importance of just, quote-unquote, living in the moment and not just focusing on the future, on your next step, on where you have to go next and what you have to do next. Just kind of, like, allowing yourself to breathe and really take in everything around you, including the spiders and the cobwebs of Mm -hmm. your decrypt mansion um but oh sorry if you heard that that was my laundromat um that that one was not a very good metaphor but uh but yeah i just it's a story that i think is is very touching especially if you're a mage hawk i think Mm -hmm. there's a deeper connection there Mm -hmm. and i'm always a mage in dragon age uh same yeah, so it it was like a really special one that it, it allowed me to navigate sort of the power structures and the realities of being a mage in ways that I don't think I would have if I romanced anyone else. So I'm I'm really happy I got to romance Fenris because mm-hmm. I love him. Uh, but yeah. <laughs>
He makes me turn into a puddle. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I love Fenris so much. Can we just talk about the romance scene, Ken? Or oh, we we gotta we gotta get through everything else first. We gotta get a lead up. I'm too excited. You see, I I love Fenris so much. All right, let's keep going, lads. Well, so we've got only one more quest before we get there because the next one is his questioning beliefs quest, and. This is where we actually learn the story of how Fenris got away from Daenerys in the first place, which is heartbreaking. Yeah. Oh, fucked up. It's, it's so... This, this was one where I was clearly like, I do not remember this from the first time I played through <laughs> Dragon Age 2. Because, uh, I mean, obviously the, the intention is that if you are playing along with us, you've heard this story already, but the TLDR for anyone who needs a refresher is that as Fenris was helping to destroy some, uh, like, a rebel faction on some island somewhere, I've heard, he Saharan. specifies... Saharan, yes. Um, as he's helping to kill this this rebel faction, he's basically left for dead by Daenerys, so Daenerys can get away uh, on a boat. And then Fenris is captured and nursed back to health by the rebels and starts to live among the rebels and just like seeing their life around him and and lives with them and gets to know them and all that and then Daenerys comes back and Daenerys basically orders him to kill all the rebels that he's been living with and and just you know falling in love with this entire time and it's at this point that your hawk can be like, and that's when you turn on Daenerys? And Fenris is like, no, I murdered all the rebels. Mm. Like, yeah. every single one of them. And um, it's tough. And and I forget where exactly the turning point is that he eventually ends up deciding that he's going to turn on Daenerys. Um, it, like, specifies it at one point, but I don't have that marked down in my notes, so if y'all remember it better than me, please step I think it's here. just, like, after this happens, he's, like, like he sees he them dead. He looks around and sees and the wreckage, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he just books it. He doesn't even try to fight Daenerys. He just takes off. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's like, it, it hurts a lot, and the before I bump it over, y'all, the one that that stuck out to me, and I can't even remember. This might have also been in a previous dialogue tree too, as well. But uh, you can basically question him on why he did this stuff, and he talks about how um, if you've lived your entire life believing that you are supposed to be a thing, right. you you can't. It's hard for you to understand that there's another way of living, and so even when he had seen these rebels living so free and so openly the second his old life came back it just it took back over it was like this this splash of cold water that was like okay no this isn't going to last forever and that just like gut punched me and really like informed me on Fenris's whole character because it's like he's living this life now that even those months you might be able to feel like okay where he is right now in kirkwall maybe he's living that again maybe he's seeing what freedom is like and no he's still living in a world where his view is dominated by denarius and the existence of denarius it's just that he got an escape for a moment and now he's trying to fight so he can hopefully have that escape again and it's 
it is heartbreaking. My heart breaks for Fenris here. Yeah. It's like yeah, really, it really sad. Does. I'm, I'm yeah. actually getting a little choked up over here about it. Um, <laughs> like attractive it, it, sad boys are attractive sad <laughs> boys. They get it, to all of us straight or not. Yeah, yeah. Look, mm. look. Not nobody that straight, but <laughs> it's. Um, <laughs> but bumping it over to Ken, like it's. This this was the moment where I feel like if questioning beliefs quests are supposed to be this character's ultimate conflict that they're struggling with, right? Like with Meryl, we have the mirror and the struggle that she has with that. With Isabella, it was very much about whether she's able to trust Hawk and whether she's able to trust people. Uh, for Fenris, this questioning beliefs is very much like, is, you know, is he able to... Mm is he going to be able to be defined by something other than his revenge and right. what will happen to him after this revenge ends? Like right. what will he be defined by then? Yeah. And I think that the, it sort of pairs very well with like the first conversation you have with them when like, like say you're in, you're trying to be in the romance and you're like, kind of like, I would like for you to be expedient with your life. And then this, like he has to get like drunk to talk about it, but this is like, mm-hmm. this is why he can't like, this is, Sort of like the things that he can't vocalize when he's like, no, I need to always be worried about Daenerys. It's like, no, I am like, I am still not free of the chains that I thought I was. Um, and you know, you've you've even you've even got this other option to be kind of like, you don't have to take this on, on by yourself. Like, I am here. That I am this person that can sort of be something that you can lean on. Like this, the beginning of this new life for you and. He, he, he kind of like entertains it and he's like we could find out but maybe not tonight while I'm hammered and I was like okay that's fair yeah yeah something that I've seen about his character a lot is just the implication that he should be over his trauma by this mm. point it's mm. like that's not how trauma works nope. um, he has lived in very special isolated circumstances for the last several years that is not like a like an established healthy routine that he has going on it's more like a lull in his life where sort of like how we are experiencing now this like permanent present but we don't have any future plans because we don't know when those plans are going to be able to be executed because we don't know when we will be able to go out safely and you know not have to worry about getting sick or worse um and so i think for him it was kind of a similar situation where he wasn't able to he was always running away and running from Daenerys, but he was never able to envision a future for himself Mm. so if he's not able to do that then he's not able to do it you know imagine a future for him and someone else that's just and i understand the position that hawk is in too because i think a lot of people know what it's like to to sort of be very open arms with someone else and someone else just not being in a position where they're ready for that right now um and it is easy to get impatient but to you know to have genuine love and care for that person is to be patient and to understand that that is not how trauma works that is not how insecurities work and that is not how um you know mental scars and mental illnesses work it's always a work in progress even after you know he knows that even after he gets his revenge like even though he tries to he tries to see it as like everything will be solved by then i think he knows deep down that it's that's not really how it works like 
I mean, what's going to come after that, you know? And that's a question he's never been able to have for himself. He's never been able to think about because this is all that he knows. Um, being Daenerys' slave, and that's why he killed the rebels that he, you know, was living so happily with. Like, even if you show someone love and patience and care, um, trauma finds its way of rearing its head back and striking just as violently. So, um, I, I like that it wasn't this romantic ideal notion of like, and I turned against Daenerys and I fought back, but he escaped, mm. but I saved the rebels. Like, no, for someone who has been in his position, who the only thing that he knows is being, is, is being a tool to Daenerys, to someone with so much more power than him, it makes absolute sense that he would um, end up doing what he did, as tragic as it is. Um, and you can tell that he lives with that regret every day, and that he will live with that regret every mm. day. And it's rough. It is. It's rough, and, and you put this in context, too, if you're romancing him, and this potential that you can almost see these these thoughts of, like, he had this wonderful thing with the rebels, and then Daenerys came back. What happens if Daenerys comes back now? Is Fenris in danger of endangering the people around him again? Does that affect the way that he wants to stay isolated, that he wants to stay away from other people, that you really really only see him if you bring him out on a mission otherwise you have to go into his mansion and literally like run back through this level that you used to that that you battled through once already to go and talk to him um yeah and as a mage hawk even it's even more um interesting to navigate and complex because you're like how much of me as a mage am i sort of showing him that not all mages are like that, that he could have an experience and a connection with a mage that offers so much more than trauma and cruelty and abuse. And how much of that is me inadvertently um, making him relive his trauma because he's Mm -hmm. afraid that at any moment I might get upset or impatient or I might dislike something that he does, especially as, as Hawk, who is essentially the leader of the group, um, there is sort of like a, a bit of a power dynamic there and he knows that he is isolated while Hawk has all these friends around them mm-hmm. um, and so I, I I often think about his position as he you know is getting to know Hawk and perhaps finding an attraction and exploring that attraction um, how complicated it is to navigate that specifically with a Hawk who is a mage um, because the lines between trauma and healing can often be blurry when you're trying to sort of overcome that trauma so Mm -hmm. it's it's all interesting do we want to touch on the romance scene now or do we want to wait it's gotta be the end yeah was it doesn't happen to the it happens at the end of the next quest at the end of bitter pill okay yeah um so bitter pill is Fenris's companion quest for for this and it kind of starts in a weird way in that you kind of run into it you don't really start it by going to talk to Fenris or anything you just kind of as you're moving around outside of Kirkwall you will be attacked by slavers and after murdering them you find out that they were sent by or they're they're partied with Hadriana who is Daenerys's apprentice and Fenris kind of goes into all sorts of murderous rage over finding out that, that Hadriana's in town 
he believes that this means that Hadrian has been sent to bring him back that uh, well, you need to go murder her and, and stuff like that you need to go take her out before she can take you out uh, and you get basically this this kind of standing quest to go after you've just brutally interrogated the one slaver that survives um, to go to Hadriana's hideout and and take her out um, and if you hold out on it you can actually get like ambushed and stuff mm. while while you're doing other stuff in the city and that was kind of uh that happened to me once and i thought that was kind of interesting i was like okay cool i need to i need to go do that and take care of that uh which is also a fun way to build fenris rivalry <laughs> and also the game um, not revolving around you specifically because it's like we have all these games like a quick example the witcher 3 you're on this you know uh quest with immediacy to save siri technically but mm-hmm. <laughs> gerald's like out on the field just kind of like racing horses and just like doing his thing so it's another <laughs> way of like going back to what you said about the game not revolving and the characters specifically not revolving around you like there's no reason why fenris should have to wait on you to decide when you want to go kill the slavers like if yeah. if this character is important to you you should realize that yeah i should probably do this as soon as possible even if you have other things because his slavers coming back for him is like yeah. a pretty big thing like and if you care about someone you would try to tackle that you know at, at least not if, if not as soon as possible then pretty early on and I, I think it's interesting that the game just kind of doesn't wait for you it's like okay you're you're taking too long let's let's find a way to um get you sort of up to speed or make you face the consequences for not doing um for not taking action as fast as you should have i like that that mental image of like dandelion being like hey should we go get siri and gerald's like (laughs) oh but there's some rare coin cards in this town (laughs) yeah i'm gonna go get a haircut my Yu-Gi-Oh deck could be better Because it is true, and so many games have these, like, (laughs) main quests with urgency, and, you know, the world depends on it, and, like, I'm out here running my chocobos and, like, vibing, (laughs) like, as if, you know, Sin isn't about to, I don't know, destroy the world or whatever, so it's it's interesting to see how the game just doesn't wait for you the version of final fantasy 10 where uh sin is gradually destroying all of spira titus Titus. just in the great like those planes and by the end of the game he's just vibing with the chocobos no he's just standing out in that like thunder plane still trying to dodge a hundred lightning bolts in a row (laughs) (laughs) keeps getting zapped and revived (laughs) like i got it this time you know Don't worry, I heard if we dodge a hundred, something good happens. And Seymour's like in the background, like, yes, Titus, dodge 100 of them. <laughs> um, I'm ignore the fact that you both said his name wrong. Just... Oh, come on, it's Titus. It's fucking not. It's so Titus. Titus. sounds ridiculous. T- it's Titus in like every fucking time it's voiced in the series. Like, it's damn, ugly. check out those Titus's. <laughs> like, who's gonna call him Titty? No. <laughs> That's why you call him Titus. Cause, listen, if I was Yuna, I would not fall for a man named Titty. All right, like no. That's good. Titus, Titus, Titus don't even. Titus. Titus, Titus don't even got the Titus. All right, you you want you want the good stuff. You go to Waka. All right, Waka's Waka's packing pecs, the Titus. Right? Or am I remembering wrong? No, he what, has Titus? a lot of abs. What Waka? Wait, no, Titus. 
Oh yeah, yeah. And Ty's Holy Ty's fuck, all about doing the, the core strength. Yeah, he's yeah. yeah. No, you you want you want the man titty. You you head on over to Waka. Oh, uh, gotcha. right, 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 right. Got it, got Along it. with the racism, <laughs> but we can talk about that if we ever do a Final Fantasy ten. <laughs> Final Fantasy Norman FM. Spira <laughs> yeah. FM. Uh, hey, look! If we get to a certain point on the Patreon, we will have a fan vote, and that can be in the running and please hopefully beat greedfall because god knows i don't want to play greedfall again (laughs) i'm not ready to to pick greedfall apart yet i did not play it but i i just remember ken's tweet from the other night when he's like remembering greedfall and then it was a picture of his character looking just like fine and then remembering how greedfall treats its natives and then yeah yeah we we talked about this on the most recent episode but there's an entire story quest in Greedfall where you are making a crown so you can appoint the new leader of the natives for them. <laughs> and, whoo! I, mm. I don't have it in me to, to hmm. break that down right now. <laughs> you know who deserves a crown? Fenris. Does yeah. Look at that. That was an excellent segue. Especially... <laughs> Especially if you do not heed Fenris's warnings, because then he says, okay, fine, I'm taking off. I'm going to go take care of Hadriana. And Fenris leaves forever. Uh, he just takes off. Yeah. Um, so at this point, if you do that, uh, <laughs> apparently there's a bug where Fenris will still speak in some dialogues despite <laughs> not being there, which I find <laughs> fascinating. That's what the wiki says. I'm like reading this. It's like, at, uh, the quest is still updated in the journal, but it's always listed as complete. At most parts, the quest continues as normal. Even Fenris can be heard despite being absent in some scenes. <laughs> so you can that's still how I, go... That's how I want to be. I want to be heard, but I don't have to be present. I just, <laughs> I would like to get my opinions in, but not have to be physically present and perceived. Oh, yeah. I wanted to talk on the Zoom call, but my, my webcam's not working. Oh, no. <laughs> Look at that. Friend just never turns on his webcam on Zoom calls. He's got, like, a sock over his webcam or something. Like, oh, For that's privacy, weird. he says, but it's just because he doesn't want to be perceived. Yes. Um... <gasps> So once we do decide to go take care of Hadriana, uh, we we fight through this once again a slaver's den. Dragon Age Two is always at its best when we are murdering tons of slavers <laughs> all at once. Word. Um, and uh, we keep. Uh, I mean, this is basically the same map as it was the one in Act One, I believe, with the uh, the magistrate's son who like murdered people which I mm. thought was kind of strange. I don't know if it's intended to be the same place or not, but I thought that was kind of interesting that if so, like three years later, all of a sudden it's like a slaver's hideout. Like these are some messed up ruins. We should maybe like keep a closer eye on this place. <laughs> yeah. uh, first a murderer hides out here and then a bunch of slavers move into it. Maybe we should, you know, like patrol this area or something. Just a thought. Um, so so as we as we move in, uh, and fight our way through, we eventually come upon Orana, an elven slave, uh, who is surrounded by a bunch of slavers, and we can kind of fight them all off. And then we have a very interesting conversation where we can talk to Orana and kind of get some information on what Hadriana is doing and what Orana is doing. 
and then we're given an option of what we should tell Arana to do. Uh, and we can do a couple things here. We can say, uh, not our problem, peace, get out, bye, <laughs> good luck out there. Uh, we can give her some cash, or uh, we can offer her to come work for us. And initially, this dialogue does not present one of the things that you can then later say after it but uh at first that looks like oh geez you're basically just stealing a slave to be your slave that's kind of messed up hawk but <laughs> you can you can pick that and as she runs off all happy to go to your place fenders can be like yo dude what the fuck <laughs> and, and you can be like uh I'm dude i'm gonna pay her <laughs> like it's all chill which even then, I'm still a little bit like, Hawk, dude, say that up front. Like, you know. Maybe... I want to, you know, preface with that and mm. then, you know, go into Yeah, be the... like, I can commission you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rana, are you a freelancer? Can I commission you? <laughs> Give me your rates. What's your rates, Rana? <laughs> mm. yeah. uh, there is also, like, an interesting bit. Because like, when, when you first talk to her, she's like, you know, visibly upset about the fact that you like one you killed everybody that was in front of her but she yeah. also like she's talking about how like everything was fine before today and we just everybody was panicking because uh we were told oh, yes. that somebody was coming yeah. for us and that they were it was gonna hurt us and so like Fenris immediately like feels guilt about that but then when she's like everything's fine Fenris was like no it wasn't you just didn't know otherwise and it kind of like goes back to stuff that he was saying when was like when you've lived that life and that is like your norm you don't kind of see how any other option like it's something that something that is disruptive to that can oh, feel sure. just as devastating as like being taken into slavery yeah it's why i almost feel that the give money and let yeah. her be free option is almost cruel because you you cannot sort of someone that has only known what it's like to be in captivity or like mm -hmm. a kid like if you thrust them into the outside world and just expect them to survive on their own chances are that they're not they don't have the tools and they were right. not taught how to do that but uh -huh. allowing her to you know go back with you gives her um gives her a chance at knowing what it's like to have sort of a family if mm -hmm. you go uh, if you grow close enough to her um, it allows her to sort of figure herself out to figure out her sort of place in the world at least for now until she decides what she wants to do next and so yeah. I almost feel like the other two options even though one of them is clearly the asshole option and one of them is not so much I feel like both of them are they could be pretty cruel I, I think at least for me the only option for me was sort of to take her in Mm -hmm. obviously pay her but to let her have a sort of safe place for her to you know live in and sort of yeah. explore who orana is um yeah. yeah i think even if you like you do like give her the money and like she leaves i think fenris will say something along the lines of like she is gonna get mugged within the day and <laughs> but like, i guess we can't do anything about it now mm -hmm. uh one thing that you did bring up ken that that i I skipped over a little bit is that as you're like going through these areas there are like evidence there's evidence of blood sacrifices and blood magic mm -hmm. being done and mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of this quest definitely does build up this idea that oh things like slaving was 
proceeding as normal and then hadriana hears that fenris is on the warpath and all of a sudden goes into like lockdown mode and starts doing all this crazy magic because uh fenris is coming and we gotta get ready for this and we hadriana does not want to get murdered so um it does pose this like interesting question of whether fenris is partially responsible for the violence that you're seeing so far and the obvious answer to that as as you noted and in the dialogue it notes is like look there was bad stuff happening here no matter what it's better that we get in here and shut this down than think that like letting it continue might have resulted in less atrocities um you know look hadriana's gotta get got you know we gotta take care of that uh and once we do come upon hadriana we of course you know blood magic abounds and abominations and and corpses and shades and horrors and stuff all all abound everywhere because we're fighting a mage in dragon age and that's what happens (laughs) um but once uh once we take her out uh she starts like basically begging for her life uh she's saying like fenris has a sister and she has information on it uh and we can go through this whole dialogue of you know like oh you know do we know something or not and then fenris just we we have the option of either making the decision here or letting fenris choose which is what i i mm-hmm. did you know i was like fenris this is your mission this is what you mm-hmm. want to do you got to make the choice here and of course fenris like murders the shit out of hadrian mm-hmm. <laughs> right, in the fully. way that fenris is extremely good at doing um but then it kind of spins off into a different conversation where he kind of gets mad about mages in general and stuff. And that's kind of where the rubber hits the road with him. And especially if you are a mage, as I understand it, mm. this creates a lot of tension. So I want to hear from y'all mage players about this the second part after we have murdered Hadriana. I remember feeling very hurt about it but my first romance with him was actually the rivalmance so i was like oh this is just part of our rivalmance which is totally healthy and not toxic (laughs) yeah man just just go tell me to fuck off or something like it's it's okay we'll we'll get back to things in a little bit but uh yeah i remember especially as someone like i don't just play mages i really embody that role and i really Mm -hmm. sort of i don't know how to phrase it in a graceful way but i identify with the identity of a mage in the dragon age Mm -hmm. world like i started out as a circle mage in origins Mm -hmm. and i'm a mage here and in inquisition i'm also a mage and that in the sense that i identify with it i identify like i base my choices around that that identity that class mm. um and so for me it's not just well i'll pick mage just because the gameplay is less boring that way than in, as a warrior or something like for me mage is an identity in these games and so right. when he said that i understand what that anger is like especially as someone who you know, is a woman of color and is queer and often lashes out, especially at like, oh, toxic straight cis white men or things like that. And I think those things are are crutches that we we you know use rightfully so. But at the end of the day, um, 
like it's a lot more complicated than that that's all that I can really say and so while I understand his trauma at the hands of mages it was like a like a hurtful thing to experience because it's like I I really care about you and I just helped you out with this and you don't owe me anything for it but I'm right here as a mage and I really care about you and for you to say that sort of kind of like it it struck it struck me a little um especially because he's like ridiculously hot and I wanted to like spooch the shit out of him so I was like no don't say that baby come back no Uh don't hate mages Uh why are you so sexy Uh uh-huh so like it was yeah it, it was a bit hurtful but I also understood where he was coming from like I you know it, it's hard it, it's hard not to tell him you shouldn't think that way I, that's all that he's known so mm. it's it, and you don't want to invalidate his trauma so it's it's complicated but I do remember feeling very hurt about it um, mm. Natalie from several years ago was very hurt <laughs> yeah I had um so you know, like when he first kills Hadriana, like you, you, the first thing you do is ask, like, "Do you want to talk about what has happened?" And then I don't know, because I mean, it's it's still a very tense situation in the first place. So I imagine that like, it's not all like, like if you're in a friendship relationship with him, he is just like totally chill and calm about it. But like, he immediately like one eighties gets in your face and is like, "No, I don't want to fucking talk about this." And for all I know, that she's just lying to throw me off. Um, mm-hmm. And then she, then he's like, "But at least I got to crush her heart." may she rot and all the other mages with her. And um, if you're, like, I, at least, like, me playing as a mage, like, there's this moment where, like, it pans over to Hawk and he just kind of, like, has this look of, like, not necessarily surprise, per se, but just, like, do you, like, more like, do you mean that? Like, me and this mage standing right here. And then he starts to turn away and, like, you can, you can do the third option where, like, you put your hand on his shoulder and, like, maybe we need to head out. And then he just, like, immediately, like, shoves you off, like, don't fucking come for me. Don't talk to me you've seen what all of this is like you've seen what it is that i'm trying to get away from don't try and make this better because you can't and then after that he leaves and then like i think he even leaves the party like for like briefly like you can't like go on another mission and have him with you like he is just locked out for a bit and then we head back home and he is there and actually for me the the line that hurt me wasn't the one about all the mages rotting along with her it was the one where he says what does magic touch that doesn't spoil and i remember that one being like a very like it brought out a strong reaction for me because i was like well um i was like working towards like you know touching you and uh Mm. uh, so what are we gonna do about that man right (laughs) so it was upsetting for little natalie yeah i think that was actually the one that like gets hawk to make that sort of like do you mean that face um yeah because it is like the the last thing he says i think before he heads out yeah because he reacts the same like if you're in a friendship romance or a rival romance because this is not only is it divorced from your friendship with him and that I think he's just he's a traumatized person with a mm-hmm. lot of anger and a lot of obviously trauma and his way of dealing with it is lashing out because that is the only way that he really knows he doesn't really know how to process his emotions in a healthy manner because he's never you know had a real relationship friendship or otherwise to teach him how to do that um 
but I do remember that being the line that I was like, oh, like, hmm. Like, because I, under- I totally understood why he was mad, why he lashed out. And it's very, you know, high emotions situation. Like, he just finished killing this person that had traumatized and abused him for just as long as Daenerys had because she was directly, you know, his accomplice. She was his, um, his sort of prodigy and whatnot. So I'm sure she did a lot of awful things to him in her quest of appealing to Daenerys and Mm. trying to be the best sort of apprentice that she could be to him. And he was just a tool for that. Um, But it was that line of what does magic touch that it does not spoil that is is said with so much anger and kudos to Gideon Emery, who is Mm. such a fantastic voice actor, like Fenris or Balthier from Final Fantasy XII and any other characters that he's voiced. He is such an amazing voice actor on his own but that line is specifically delivered with so much hatred and so much um sort of like poison that it, mm-hmm. it it's so it, it brought a strong reaction out yeah. of me it was like oh like that's that's intense man yeah. <laughs> that is something that i think we don't shout out often enough on this podcast but like the voice acting in dragon age 2 specifically so is good. so good mm-hmm. like so it it says a lot that when I'm thinking of these dialogues, I'm not just thinking of what was said, but like how it was said, right. yeah. the the way it was intonated. Like I can hear the dialogue playing out in my head, and I didn't have that as much with Origins. Like not to not to like dunk on that game because I think that's also a result of just how that game played and and how it was able to play up those moments. But I feel like the way that when we talked about Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect 2, we talked about how the game started, the Mass Effect series started to take a more cinematic approach. It started to try and frame shots in ways that weren't just two avatars standing there talking at each other. And the same happens here in Dragon Age 2, where these conflicts feel so much more alive because it feels like they're taking advantage of the tools that they have with the voice actors, with the camera angles that they can do, with the animations that they can do in these in these story scenes that sure. just makes these moments land so much more and that all segues back into meeting Fenris back at the Hawk estate uh and for me here uh it just ended with me being like look dude I get it you know Hadriana was there she was messing around I understand what you're going through it you know are you doing okay you know how are you going to be able to hold up for the future you know we good bro take off see it you know, hit the showers. <laughs> I'm delivering uh, all the yeah. most hetero idioms that I can right now. Uh, Ken, let's pour one out. Mm. Let's just pour one out to all the people who didn't romance Fenris and got mm. the glorious scene that we are about to mm-hmm. babble on for, I don't know, at least five minutes. Just, yeah. just pour one out for Eric and everyone else. Just For having the Look, inferior Dragon Age 2 experience. Rip, bro. I was, yeah. I was over here living out with my girl Isabella. You know, we getting in that bed. The daggers are, are coming into play, coming out play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've got I've got it locked down over here. Meanwhile, Ken can't seem to uh, respond to texts lately, leaving Isabella on red. So I guess that's that's you then you know i'm over mm. here being a good friend keeping the party intact for dragon age inquisition instead of resulting to some tomfoolery but listen you do you. eric i i understand <laughs> but there's it is one thing to bring out the daggers for play and then it is another to be shoved against the wall mercilessly until like your eyes just like bleh, like 
go like behind the back of your mm-hmm. head and then you're like wait that mm-hmm. was hot and then you proceed to make out with a beautiful tall gorgeous elf with green eyes and an incredible voice and right. a huge all right, sword all right. to match and just yeah well let's it's, let's get into it then so mm-hmm. so for how does this how did this play out for y'all's romance, especially because I believe, Ken, you're doing the rival mance, mm-hmm. which is the one where we get the aforementioned wall banging. Yeah. It still happens even if you're as a friend, though. Really? I, I thought it was like, uh, I, I was led to believe it, that it was It plays out a little intense. differently, but like, yeah, well, okay, well, let's, well, let's, just, let's just go through it. So it starts out like, you know, he's there waiting and he says something along the lines of like, I know you and I don't always agree and our relationship is very a lot of butting heads, but you don't deserve my anger when it comes to shit like that. And then, you know, you could be like, I didn't know where you'd gone. I was worried about you. And because, you know, like he, like I said, he leaves the party. Like you straight up don't see him until you come back here. And then he said, I just needed to be alone because Adriana treated me like basically like a dog, like, and would deny my meals and like wake me up in the middle of the night just for the fucking hell of it. And as much as I would have liked... Yeah, and like as much as um, he would have liked to have left her, let her go, he just couldn't because she was right in front of him and he had to do something about it. And so this is where, if you're in like the rivalry romance, you could kind of be like, I get where you're coming from, but like the way that your rage consumes you is not okay. And like, it's not in like a dismissive way of like, you need to just like calm down, bro. Like, it's not like you need to be able to kind of like, confront this instead of just like using it as this weapon that you do and then he points out like well she fucking came after me like you don't get what i've been through and i'm like i'm not trying to you know downplay any of that but i'm saying like you put people that you care about in the line of fire when you get like this and he uh he starts to turn around to leave he's like i didn't want to fight this is not why i came here and if you do the sword option, like, he get, you kind of touch his arm again and, like, kind of, like, try to, like, turn him around. And then he just immediately, 180s, shoves you against the wall. And then, like, th- there's a moment. Like, and he, he's, like, glowing blue and everything. Like, ready to fucking do what he does. And then, so, like, there's a moment where he starts to back off. And then Hawk kind of composes himself and then just, like, plants one on him. Shoves him, like, turns him around, shoves him against the wall. And then... It's beautiful. You get to the bedroom later, and it's like, you know, Hawk wakes up, like, still in underwear, but, like, Fenris is already, like, fully dressed, looking at the fire, and if you're, like, a, a humorous male Hawk, you can, you know, there's a joke, you can be like, I'm sorry, it can be a lot to take in, I know. And then, uh, he's like, it's not that, like, it's not, like, it was, I, it was better than I could have imagined, I think it's the actual line he uses. Um, yeah. But... Apparently, like, in the midst of all this, Fenner starts to, like, see memories of his past life, and basically by the time it was over, he'd, for- like, it was all gone, and he couldn't remember it, and, like, it was this, like, moment of, like, clarity for all these things that he had never, like, that he couldn't remember after having been uh, infused with the lyrium tattoos that he has, and it was just all gone, and he was like, I can't, I can't be in this relationship that is, like, giving me something, but then immediately taking it away, and, um... Like, you can kind of, like, you know... There, there are, like, a bunch of different options, but basically there's nothing that stops Fenris from leaving, and you basically break up. Like, it, the, the romance is, quote-unquote, ended. Like, I mean, whatever happens in the future, like, right now, Fenris is, like, the one relationship in this game that kind of 
there's like a definitive breaking point and um mm-hmm. yeah Love it's it. yeah like now i got i got some thoughts on kind of like where i sit on the the feminist romance right now but natalie you can go ahead like i, I said a lot uh, i just I just love the angst as someone mm-hmm. who reads like 5,000 fan fictions. Like, I love when fan fictions get to that sweet point, and then there's just all this angst and the mm-hmm. looks that like are written between Hawk and him, and like how he wears the red ribbon of yeah. the Hawk family on his wrist just to kind of like let you know that he's like, I'm still thinking about you, boo. And it's like, I'm still thinking about you, boo. Mm-hmm. I got you. It's, it's only a matter of time. But yeah, I. <laughs> When you were saying moment of clarity, I was like, ah, the famous post-nut clarity. And it made, <laughs> me think, it made me think of that tweet that's going around that's like, bro, once after like my post-nut clarity was so strong that I got off Pornhub and decided to apply to jobs. So I was just thinking about Fenris, like oh, having man. a post-nut clarity so strong that he's like... God, I'm gonna figure my shit out. I'm gonna figure out who I am. And I'm gonna apply to like 500 jobs. And blah, blah, so. <laughs> oh God. Oh man, I should really oh, invest in my 401k. I should make sure I'm doing. That. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should go clean up that mansion finally. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I've I've done both the rival man's and the friend romance, and I like how both play out here. They are both a little different from each other, but they make sense and they um like the rival mance is like spicy and then the friend man's version of it is is still a little spicy because that's how fenris goes um but it's still a little more gentle um mm. but like you said i think at least when i did the rival mance which was a long time ago but i do remember that it's not about invalidating his anger or not right. like you know telling him that you need to get over it it's more like how will you confront this anger and right. where will you direct that energy to because it's it shouldn't be on me right. um and you just have a more sort of a less gentle way of saying it right. um and i think both can work and be healthy and not necessarily mm. be super toxic i think some of the other rivalmances verge on toxicity but at least from what i remember and i might be wrong because i played the rivalmance a long time ago and ken you're playing it right now so mm. you have better like a much better memory of it but i mm. i don't remember at least having a period of time where I un- like invalidated his trauma and his struggles. Right. Like I, I entered the rival man's while trying to be nice to him. So <laughs> I never really did things that explicitly went against him. We just had very different ways right. of sort of tackling the same world and the same viewpoints. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's where the difference between like because we talked about the Merrill one last week, and it, like that one is about actively like intruding upon what she wants to do and you know we talked about that all last week we don't need to like retread that too much yeah. but i did i do like that in the fender stuff it is more just about like having very different worldviews and not necessarily interfering with each other's lives in a way that feels you know toxic or just overbearing but i it's something that i'm like i guess coming coming to realize maybe now having played it so removed as far like you know i this was the first romance i did in dragon issue it's the only like 
it's the only one I ever see to completion because like Dragon Age 2 or like Bioware games in general like I have a very definitive story okay. that I do and I'm like this is the way this game plays out these are the choices I'm going to make even and like this is how I talked about it when we did all of Mass Effect like things that I did in Mass Effect the trilogy are not things I necessarily would do now but this was the story as Mass Effect as I know it so this is same case here um, and I don't know if I were to do it now, like, that it would be necessarily different, because, like, what I do, what appeals to me about the Fender's rivalry moments is the story that it tells, especially when you are playing a mage, and mm-hmm. I do, and we'll talk about it next week, but, like, I do a thing where, like, I have, like, a diverging path where I almost do the Anders romance, but then immediately come back, because, like, it's a whole, it's all part of the story that I've written, where, like, my hawk tries to move on, but then realizes that he still feels a way about Fenris, and then that is just, like, the, again, it's a story that I tell. But I think as time has gone on, like, I appreciate the drama, I appreciate the story that it tells, but I think Fenris as a relationship, the, the rivalry romance in particular as a relationship, is kind of like, I think I've soured on it just as an adult that, like, maybe, I'm not, not saying that like, I ever used, like, the rivalry romance of Fenris as, like, a reference of, like, how I think, ro- <laughs> like, relationships should be or anything, but, like, it's more just, like, I acknowledge now that, like, despite the story that it tells, like, this is not a relationship that I think is necessarily healthy for yeah. Hawk. And, yeah. you know, like, as much as he is trying to help Fenris, like, ultimately he cannot, by being in Fenris's life, that does not, it's not, like, a de facto fix for all of Fenris's problems, and it's not necessarily worth Hawk putting himself through that, trying to fix somebody else's problems just by being there. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think an Anders romance is, like, much better on that front, but it at least, like, that d- directly antagonistic thread that is this relationship is not necessarily there in, like, the, the friendship relationship that I normally go through with Anders. But, and, like, and again, that's not on the writing. That's not on how... Because, like, again, I think it, the story that it tells between these two characters is probably, like, one of my favorite written love stories in a Bioware game. But it is also, it's just something that I've, as I have become a 27-year-old, that maybe has more world experience and realizes that this is not the thing that I am super down with. Yeah, like, if you were to, if this was happening in real life and you were to be able to have, like, a clear choice, like, I think most people, hopefully, would go for a friend romance because what he needs is not someone butting heads with him on... Mm -hmm issues constantly even as a mage what he needs is a friend right and that's obviously the much more healthy option even if the rival romance isn't super toxic or whatever um it's just the whole rival friend romance thing is still a little odd to me after all these years like i'm not quite sure why we had that but but it makes for some interesting differences right I just don't think a rival man's would happen in real life, period. I just find it interesting, like, after coming back to Dragon Age 2, after playing so many games, not just for Normandy FM, but just playing games that have romance in general, things like Persona 5 and The Witcher, uh, that the rival man's idea seems really refreshing overall, this idea that relationships aren't always this pristine I I especially think of Persona 5 in this case because as much as I really really love the social links in that game they are very like 
oh, we hung out and became the best of friends, and, you know, we're just always going to be there for each other, supporting each other, whereas, like, Dragon Age 2 lets you see how people can grow closer even when they don't agree, and even mm-hmm. when they're butting heads, and how they can even fall in love while hating the shit out of each other, and that feels like a much more human emotion to me, and less of, like, uh, a game serving a sort of fantasy that you want to see played right. out on screen and and to be fair like i think the rival mance also has elements of fantasy to it that it does fulfill this um like that that ideal of oh you can be super pissed at each other but also be like super hot for each other at the same time but i i find it interesting that's trying to get into those things i think the witcher is maybe the only other game that i've really seen delve into that when you get into like yennefer's story and with the the genie and kind of some of the there's like an antagonism there in a way that they they try to address and deal with Mm. and you can even end that on like a really sour note god i kind of want to replay the witcher (laughs) (laughs) uh but i i just think all this stuff is really interesting that we get to explore these levels of interaction with characters that games are usually trying to serve a very familiar fantasy of when i think of all the romances in mass effect and stuff like that where it's like oh yeah we're just you know Mm. you got to know me and you remembered things about my past and now Mm. now i like you and and now you've talked to me enough times so we're going to bone now (laughs) i I, okay and i I know i know that's being reductive and i'm mainly i will preface i i should have prefaces to say i'm talking about specifically like mass effect one and two i think dragon age two is like a turning point in the way that bioware specifically thought about romance and that you can see some of the effects of rival mance play out in mass effect three as well uh i promise i'm not just hedging my bets because i'm verging on <laughs> making ken mad with my takes but uh i do feel like dragon age two even if it doesn't nail it, does try to do something with romance that doesn't feel status quo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of where I'll leave that. But that, so that does it for the the topic content that we had to cover today. We do have a listener question. Those of you out there who follow us, who support us on Patreon, we, we thank y'all so much. Every week we get to celebrate the wonderful patrons that we have on patreon.com slash normdfm. Y'all help keep the lights on, help keep that SoundCloud hosting cost covered. We love it. And we shout out those who donate at a certain tier, and that includes Kevin Kulikowski, Ginny Wu, Chris Johns, Anthony Mathias, Alice Hawk, Colin, Just Colin, Just Reds, and Just. God, still sticking. Uh and we do actually have a listener question from someone who supports at a certain enough level to send us a listener question. So Just Reds writes in and says, do y'all have any thoughts on a film or a TV series based on Dragon Age or Mass Effect? I know adapting a story from one medium to another can be a massive undertaking, especially when that story is still unfinished and ongoing. We all saw how Game of Thrones turned out. But, setting those worries aside, which timelines in the Dragon Age and or Mass Effect series would you like to see portrayed in a film or TV series, and who might you cast for certain characters? Um, They also note that uh, they hope that Natalie is on during the pod, because they might have interesting opinions on that. So luckily, you did did line that up. Natalie is here. For... For me specifically, so, I mean, we do have the obvious answer in that Mass Effect has done 
uh, Paragon Lost, I, th- I believe is what it's mm-hmm. called, the yeah. the Vega side story. For me, I would I would be interested in side stories in either one of these. Probably Mass Effect a little bit more than Dragon Age, just because I feel like Dragon Age has enough side content in other mediums that feel more natural to how those stories are told. You know, things like the comic series and stuff like that, where it that feels like a more natural medium for fantasy. I've I'm always very hesitant to get into fantasy TV series because they they're always going to feel just a hair more I don't know outlandish to me than a sci-fi series does. Uh, that might just be you know I just I watch more sci-fi than I do watch fantasy, but uh, I think a Mass Effect series that and again we talked about this when we talked about how we would like to see the Mass Effect series unfold back when we were doing. Uh, Normandy FM proper for the Mass Effect series, but I would like to see more stories told about, say, like CSEC and the things that happen in places over time. Like the idea of, I want to see what day to day life is on the Citadel and not just what happens when Shepard stops by to pick up more quests and takes off again. But I think the idea of following a csec officer who's investigating some sort of uh like crime spree or something like oh there's a serial killer loose in the citadel and it's up to this one turian csec officer definitely not garris uh to to hunt them down and find them i mean you could do some fun cameos that way and that you know you're maybe garris shows up or rex shows up or something like that you could set it like before the reaper invasion so it's when all these characters are still very uh, are still forming or still becoming who they are going to be in the series but I, I would like to see that aspect explored because it's a part of that universe I feel like we didn't get to see a lot of while we were playing the games as Shepard but uh, Ken what do you think what would you like to see hmm. Uh, hmm. I'm kind of of the mind that like I'm kind of okay on a lot of the extended universe shit like I don't really feel like I am wanting for anything on that front um, especially with like with Dragon Age because I don't fucking like the way that Bioware handles Dragon Age Extended Universe because they make their own canon and just fuck with shit because they fucking can and they don't care about anything except for whatever um, as for Mass Effect I I don't know like they a lot of the stories I would have been interested to have seen they ended up making like either a book or a comic series or like a one-off comic that they because uh, like if I wanted to see, like, backstories of, like, other characters and stuff, they ended up doing, like, a whole uh, series run that was, like, dedicated to, like, being the origin story of literally every squad mate in those mm. games. Um, so, I don't know. Like, it's... I am a person that maybe finds worlds less interesting than people that live in them. So... When you ask me, like, what more do, like, what more do I want to see from Mass Effect or... Dragon Age is like, if I already have seen in some form the backstory of a character that I see in the games, I'm kind of content where I'm at and don't really, I don't really have a want for those things. I will say though, like in the event that there was any sort of TV series of any of these things, and because like one of the questions was like, who would we cast? Like that, I guess like carries a connotation of like a live action adaptation and like the thought of like, say live action humans, but like. CG Turians or Krogan. I was like, why not just make entirely an animated series? So, in that scenario, I was like, just cast 
like if it's an animated series, just cast the character, the people that voice them in the games as the people that voice them in the shows. So I don't know. You think I? I would have thought that I would have had more thoughts on hypothetical more Mass Effect, Dragon Age, Extended Universe stuff, but I kind of come up blank when I think about what I would rather, what I would like to see in that scenario. Natalie, what about you? As for me, I just wouldn't like it. <laughs> like <laughs> when. When I read the question, the first thing that popped into my mind was a live series Dragon Age in which Hawk canonically romances Anders, and I wanted to gag. <laughs> so, mm. I just, I wouldn't, because like Ken says, I agree to a certain extent that Bioware tends to create a canon that I am not satisfied with and as much as we've gone on in this particular episode about how characters like Isabella and Fenris have moments where they um, do not essentially revolve around you as the main character and as a player ultimately these are worlds that are shaped tremendously Mm -hmm. by the player and that Mm -hmm. exist for the player to live in and explore and get to know and shape in all the ways that we come to shape it as drastically as we do in inquisition and that's always you know like all those things are sort of illusions as they tend to be in video games there's always this common point where all your decisions meet regardless of like the permutations and the little nuances that you included in there um but so i i hate the idea of having this canon where first of all if we had a live action mass effect or a dragon age the the woman shepherd or woman hawk or whatnot they would not be right. the starring no it would be, people. It would be they, the they would just version. not like first of all that's already enough for me to be like no yeah. because i will never play as a man and <laughs> obviously i have a lot of issues with men being the default narratives in video Mm -hmm. games and storytelling so from just that point alone i would say absolutely not but even more so than that i don't think first of all if if a canon were to explore my specific choices let's say the canon that byware puts out is somehow every single choice that i made exactly how i wanted it to be made for me that is not worth the trouble of then living in today's world and going on social media and seeing people talk about that thing because then there will be a bunch of people trying to invalidate that canon Mm. and discussing that canon at length and saying you know this isn't real like this this isn't how it's supposed to be this character is better for hawk this character you know it's like we you sometimes i sometimes i'm like i wish we had like a like, I wish our canons would be taken into more account because I feel so strongly about the playthroughs that I create mm-hmm. because I get so emotionally invested in Bioware worlds. But at the end of the day, I think I'm happiest having my own canon playthrough as right. someone else has their own canon playthrough. And I think we are happiest when we do not have those playthroughs sort of... Um, not invaded, but, like, just imposed upon right um when, when one gets like lifted up as saying like this is the one that's worthy of an adaptation exactly right. even if mine were to be the one mm. for some reason some miraculous ideal reason mine my exact playthrough and my exact canon was lifted um above others which 
will never happen for anyone um that's that's still like all the trouble that would cause me and inflict upon me having to like read the discourses because it's not just about ignoring the discourse and ignoring it and whatnot like like that's just how we live today we live on the internet like we will you know if you look up like the characters you're gonna see fan art you're gonna see discussions you're gonna see forum posts uh you're gonna see you know twitter threads you're gonna see people talking about it on facebook that's just how we live it's not about ignoring the discourse it's about just like the ways through which that discourse is channeled and how we read it and how we engage with it so like the idea of me you know going on a computer and going on any social platform and seeing people dissect that canon and find ways to invalidate it is not worth the trouble for me if that mm. makes sense yeah um and also like the idea of like i don't know fucking romancing anders or doing anything <laughs> but like hating the shit out of him just like disgusts me on a truly personal level uh but yeah yeah, like i i would not i wouldn't want it um and like ken said that would imply sort of like a live action thing and y'all like you can try but nobody will match up to fenris's beauty that is just a fact no human man will ever or like a human man with elven ears or whatever i don't care you could do whatever you want to your face you will not match fenris's beauty so you might as well not try mm. um i can't speak that way about garris even though i love him just as much because garris is ugly but you also won't match like his charm like he is ugly but he is so charming and i love him and things sometimes it's okay to let things sort of be contained in the medium that they are in and Video games have traditionally not been a medium that has translated well to a film or a series. Uh, I do think there was... Wasn't there, like, a Mass Effect movie planned in the works, which we never heard about yeah, ever again? that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there was one. We just never heard about it ever again, so I think it's just faded into cancellation or obscurity. But when that news came out, I was like, oh, no. Because, like, I already knew what was going to happen. I already knew that... We were going to get male shepherd instead of lady shepherd because that's just how things work in this patriarchal capitalistic world uh because male shepherd would have made them more money and they would have gone with this canon that i absolutely would not have connected to and that a lot of other people who have played as the male version of shepherd would obviously not connect to either and bioware games are so personal and individual mm-hmm. and so personally meaningful to a degree that i sometimes i'm like whoa natalie you have to kind of like step back from this universe a little (laughs) bit because you're getting a little too involved but that's the beauty of bioware games and so specifically for dragon age or mass effect i would sincerely just not want them to be touched at all and to be converted into other mediums like a movie or a tv show um i think we're all happiest as as much as it sucks to not you know have the story explicitly address your canon and the things that you might want from it specifically uh, according to the decisions that you've made i think we're all happiest when those choices are not infringed upon or impeded in any way by anyone else including bioware themselves yeah. so so that that's why i suggested the idea that maybe if you do an adaptation it not be of the actual source material itself but you do something to the side of it you do like a prequel right, right, right. yeah or, i was gonna get to that and i forgot like oops yeah i i'm also with ken on this one i find the characters rather than the worlds more 
interesting for me, which is why Dragon Age and loving Dragon Age so much can be a little conflicting because Dragon Age pain is, in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> read pain in the ass. Me and Ken have talked about this privately at length before, but it's what makes loving Dragon Age as much as we do a pain in the ass because Dragon Age cares more about the world than the characters. I personally prefer Mass Effect style of it in which mm. they care more about the characters in the world. There's a specific narrative around Commander Shepard and the specific people that they uh, you know, are surrounded by as well as Ryder and Andromeda. So for me, that it, that was going to be something that I was going to get to, but then I forgot. So thank you for reminding me, Eric. Um, but yeah, that I, I would say the same thing that Kenneth said. Like I care much more about the characters. So in terms of the exploration that has been done, I think I'm satisfied. Like in terms of where we are now, I would like to see more of certain characters, but I don't know if it'd be enough to sort of create a whole series or movie or tv show um mm. like we do have um dragon age does have the movie for cassandra yeah so that and is there's something. like a web series or something i believe too yeah uh, and it's like it, it, made it at one point yeah and it's like it, it didn't really do much for me i watched it and i thought it was fine but it didn't really add much to cassandra's character like what i love is specifically to see how those characters interact with you and how they are shaped by you and that's a pretty like egotistical way of looking at it but it is a video game and that is kind of how it is at the end of the day like you're the Mm -hmm. one influencing this world and its characters directly so um yeah i think it's i think it's possible and granted i am much more of a world lover than than y'all are um Mm -hmm. but in in like conflict with that i've as somebody who has watched a lot of stuff where world building can go wrong, you know, your, your star Wars and stuff, uh, that, that can open the door to a lot of things where I would want something that does that, that tells a story that is not beholden to the stories that came before it, but also like ventures into new territory, uh, visits on interesting characters in interesting ways and like conflicts that you don't normally see in whatever the main property is so like this i'm spinning this around to say that in my csec ideal my my csec tv adaptation i would want it to pretty much be something like the mandalorian for star wars where Um. it centers squarely on this character that is not doing anything that involves jedi or the force and so like this would be something that would just be totally off to the side focuses on their own struggles or like a rogue one is another good example uh and i would probably want pedro pascal to play the lead because i love pedro pascal but uh that's great actually now that you say it yeah like i i'm thinking so i haven't thought about it too much because that was just my answer and i'm now like sort of developing different ideas as you're talking (laughs) about it and like your positivity is sort of like passing on to me through the screen and the distance part but, of it's also i just want something you know i yeah, want signs of yeah. life <laughs> a little a little crumb of but it made me think of something that i've always wanted to see mass effect explore more which is the human turian conflict which a lot mm. of people wanted andromeda to be yeah um before we knew anything about it so i think i would like to see that explored in like a series or like a tv show not live action but um that is a conflict that I would like to see because we're 
we're told about it in Mass Effect, but we're not really, I don't know, like, there's, I, I can't remember many points where there is explicit animosity specifically between humans and Turians all that much, at least, like, compared to other races, like, everyone just kind of hates each other for the most part, um, so, like, let, let me pitch. Yeah. Let me pitch you something here, Ken. I got something for Ken specifically. Okay. It was it was the Quarian arc that we never found in Andromeda, right? Oh no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what if we got an XCOM style game about the Quarian arc surviving in Andromeda and it was like very Chimera Squad inspired. It was about the survivors of the Quarian arc and how they eventually find their way to Ryder and the rest of the Andromeda through fighting all these different battles and stuff like that. Hit well, me with that. What do you think about that? That's that's nice in theory, but in the book, Mass Effect Andromeda Annihilation, they already like they're they're chill. They're set. They're headed back. They're headed to the Nexus like everybody else. So, right. But what, what if, if they that encounter some issues along the way? Well, then they got some bad fucking luck. Let me tell you. Better, better yet. What if we say books are for nerds and we throw that shit out the window and then we say no, the book's gonna fly. <laughs> Uh, and you can make eric read it by donating to our patreon (gasps) yes make eric i would i I would like to state for the record that i read books i've read a significant (laughs) but he's really upset by the prospect of having to read for this show if you want me to bust out my bookcase we can talk about east of eden we can talk about gravity's rainbow we can really get going there yes i have read all the pretentious white boy hipster books I am here. I'm present. But have you read Mass Effect Revelation? No, because I'm too All busy right. reading books that are like... You heard that here, Contribute. <laughs> Look, if you want to contribute to the Patreon to make me read books or to make us do whatever other things are on our tier list, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm and do so. Or you can head over and just follow along on twitter.com slash normdfmshow where we post all our updates every week so you can follow along there. Uh... Natalie, thank you again for coming on. We love having you on every time we can. I was very much looking forward to this episode almost as much as I'm looking forward to your next appearance, which we have already slotted in. We have already decided (laughs) what your next appearance is going to be for Dragon Age Inquisition. I am thrilled for it. I I am very excited. I love talking to y'all, so I'm happy whenever you decide to have me back, which has been for every good Dragon Age and Mass Effect game, which excludes dragon age origins bam there you go it's amazing it's amazing how we plan that natalie thank you so much (laughs) again one more time for the people out there uh because i don't think we did this at the beginning either but how can the folks out there follow you if they would like to follow your work so you can find me at twitter at hardemisia that's heart i-m-e-c-i-a i'm also the weekend writer at fanby i work with kenneth there represent Um, so yeah so you can find my writing there on the weekends and you can find his wonderful writing there during the weekdays so you have a nice little mm, content all week around for um, uh, norman dfm peeps um and yeah that's where you can find me basically it Fanbyte slid in here and got an add-in under the wire while I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. You gotta uh, get you one also... of your USG people over here. Then I you know. can get an ad for your site. Okay, because we're on a podcast, I'm just gonna say that an alarming number of people I work with at US Gamer have not played Mass Effect, and I've been slowly working <gasps> on that. They they have been starting their playthroughs. I've been touched to hear tales of their playthroughs. It's been 
giving me life through all this like multiple people on the staff are like i guess i'll finally play mass effect and i'm like yes has mike uh, played a mass effect i yeah I mike, believe... mike has right yeah because we oh yeah we yeah. talked about caden yeah he's got bad caden takes they're yes based on a very he's, gendered um, mm, game yeah. design of mass effect one mm. he has he has caden takes uh <laughs> i believe I believe my my boss Cat Bailey there has as well, but uh, many other people at that site have not played Mass Effect, and that is being rectified as we speak. So do not worry. I think when we look at next season, we might be trying to slot in some folks from there too, so that way we can get some promotion on this podcast as well. Because yeah. what else is this podcast about other than promotion of ourselves? Uh, crying our- about Fenris for the last uh, like fifty minutes, obviously. <laughs> basically for natalie for ken for myself thank you all so much we'll see you next time on normandy fm We have watched and waited.